Our scripture reading for today is Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Well, happy new year and happy 10th day of Christmas. And so next Sunday when you look uh, behind, uh, behind the worship team and behind me, uh, you will not see the Christmas trees anymore. It's sort of like at Target Field. Um, the first season they had the trees behind and then they, and then they got rid of them. But, but ours uh, return always. And there's always, there's kind of the curse of the Target Field trees when they took them away. The team got bad. So um, we will not suffer from that though this year. They will be back. They shall return. And so the Christmas season is one every year that's supposed to be filled with light and with hope. It's, it's a season that we associate often um, with good feelings. You know, we have uh, shepherds coming to, to see the child. We have wise men bringing gifts. We have angels singing glory to God. We have a baby in, in, in a manger. And so it's this time of year of celebration and of nostalgia and of warmth in a cold and dark world. But along with the Christmas, the light and life of the Christmas story, the Christian faith is nothing if not the most realistic of all faiths. And so there are plenty of shadow sides to the Christmas story as well. There's King Herod and the massacre of the innocents in Bethlehem. And then there's our passage in Luke today about a missing child. Now, I think this story about Jesus in Jerusalem and his parents losing him and not being able to find him, I think it's one of the most relatable, universally relatable stories in the New Testament. That, that, that most children and many parents can relate to this as well. I mean, do you ever remember a time in your life when you were a kid when you couldn't find your parents, when they were lost from you and you were scared? You know, I, I certainly remember those moments from my own childhood. There's actually a famous story uh, from Amy's uh, childhood where she was shopping with her mother at a department store and her mother could not find her anywhere. And so she was searching frantically in the department store. And all of a sudden she found Amy hiding in the middle of one of those circular coat racks, remember? And they, they would hang all of the winter coats on those. So it's a perfect spot if you want to hide from one of your parents and not be found. And so when her mother, when she found her, looked and saw her in the middle of this coat rack, Amy obviously hiding from her. And as soon as her mother found her, Amy burst into tears and said, I couldn't find you anywhere. Which was, (laughs) she had obviously not been looking for. And oh, do I have my own stories to tell of losing some number of my own children. And I will regale you with those tales now. 
uh, because I think it helps us enter into the space of where Mary and Joseph were, why there was a time when um, we, we had just uh, met the Howlett's, Thomas and Katie Howlett, uh, dear members of, of, of the church, and, and we had them over for a backyard barbecue. And uh, the boys finished dinner, and our bigger boys, Kyle and Peter, so they went in the house to play. We dismissed them to go play in the house. And then we had one of those experiences where, you know, uh, it's cliche, but it's true. It, it, it was a little too quiet. And, and, and so we, uh, you know, I decided to go look in the house. And so I looked in their room, nothing, called their names, nothing. Looked in every single nook and cranny of our house, nothing. Went around to the neighbors and asked if they'd seen them nothing. Now, this is when panic starts to set in as a parent because your kids are not anywhere where they should be or are supposed to be, and your mind starts going to the absolute worst places. And so then, you know, Amy starts looking, and, and our new friends, the Howlets, we, we enlist them. I mean, what an introduction to our family. Search for our children. Please find them. And, and, and I went so far as to call 911, and, and they say, all right, you know, I have two missing kids, and you have to describe what they look like. And that's, if you just realize how hard that is to do with your kids, and they ask you what you're wearing, what they're wearing, and you realize you don't remember what they're wearing, and then they say, how tall are they? And you realize you have absolutely no idea how tall your children are either. I don't know, two little kids, find them. And before I got in my car uh, and went around the neighborhood looking for them, I happened to look in our minivan, which was parked in front of our house. Normally, for some reason, normally it was parked in the, in the, in the garage behind our house, but no, I looked in the minivan, and there, sitting in the back seat, were two naughty little boys with the guiltiest looks on their faces. And uh, suffice to say, they were extremely lucky that we had company over at that time. And, and this one, next one is shorter, but no less terrifying. Uh, earlier this year, uh, uh, we were out around Father's, we were celebrating Father's Day, and, and during COVID, our family has taken to a, a daily constitution. Actually, at that time, it was twice daily walks that we were taking, and, and the boys would ride their scooters when the weather was nice, and there's this lovely road. If you're ever on Upton, uh, right by the creek, there's this lovely little kind of spur off of it called Forest Dale. And it goes right by the creek and has these beautiful homes on it. And so we love to walk on Forest Dale. So we were out for a walk one day and we cross over the, the bridge, cute little bridge right on Upton, take a right on Forest Dale. And then we realize that the sound of Peter's scooter is not behind us. That's where he likes to, to ride. It gives him kind of his, his own time and space. And so, you know, no big deal. We think maybe he's stopped off in the woods to, uh, you know, relieve himself. Or, uh, you know, maybe he's just waiting at the corner and we look and we don't find him. And then we shout his name, and we don't hear anything. And then all of a sudden, I'm thinking, he is in the creek, and he is drowning. So I jump right in the creek, and I begin wading through it and shouting his name. And then all of a sudden, all the walkers who are around there start activating. I mean, it's amazing how spontaneous order takes place, and people jump in to help you. And Amy is panicking, yelling Peter's name, and the stroller has Gregory in it. It tips over, and now he's crying, and we're screaming. And so a stranger picks up the stroller and starts taking the stroller with Gregory in it, looking for our son. And I'm just looking in the creek for his lifeless body floating there. And I'm panicking, and I'm thinking, my life is over. It's ruined. Kyle is freaking out. And then a van pulls up to Amy and says, are you looking for a kid who was on a scooter? He went up up, just up the hill. And so where we had taken a right to go on this road, he had gone up the hill on his scooter. And so when we found him, you know, and he was none the wiser to the fact that we had just experienced two minutes of sheer terror. And, and I, I joke, but he literally, I think, took a couple of years off of my life. And so all that to say, all that to say, I sympathize with Mary 
and Joseph. And how they must have been feeling that day when they realized that they couldn't find their son as they were heading home from Jerusalem. And Jesus' story in that way, it's a very human story. It's a very relatable story. Yes, it's, it's a divine story, but it's a human story as well. And so we're going to examine this passage in three parts today. Uh, Jesus is lost, Jesus is found, and then Jesus is formed. And so first, he's lost. And, and surprisingly or not, I actually think this is the part of the passage that maybe has the most insight for us uh, today, has the most to say to us. And so here's what's happening in this passage is, is uh, the, the, the Joseph and Mary family are making their annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They're going to celebrate the Passover festival. And, and what this tells, us, tells us right off the bat is that they were an incredibly faithful family, a very faithful family. Now, uh, the, the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the festivals was required in the law for, for men who, who lived within 20 miles of Jerusalem. But Nazareth was 80 miles away from Jerusalem. And so Jesus' family, they're, they're going above and beyond what the law requires of them in their devotion to God. And, and, and so uh, what Scripture makes you know, abundantly clear is, is, is they, the whole family comes along too. So it's not just Joseph. It's not just the patriarch of the family, but the whole family is brought along. And, and so what Scripture makes clear right here is that, fi- that faith was a family affair for Joseph and Mary. And so let that first be an example for all of us that, that we're going to make sure that we make great care in our families to not leave our kids behind. And I don't mean like how Jesus got left behind in, in, in the temple or stayed behind in the, in the temple. I mean that we don't neglect to do like Joseph and Mary to bring our kids with us as we practice our faith, as we go to worship especially not those 12-year-olds, right? Those kids who are right on, on the cusp of, of adulthood. We don't want to leave them behind as well. And by way of experience, um, I can't tell you how many times I've heard some version of this kind of statement or conversation from parents or prospective parents where they say, you know, they say, my parents, you, they made me go to church growing up. And usually when this, this is said, it's kind of an ad hoc affair. Like it wasn't a, a, a deeply important practice, but it's something that the family did. They dragged themselves to church, you know, every once in a while. And it was kind of been a casual affair, almost always when people say this. And then usually this stopped for the people making this statement right around the time when they were Jesus's age, right around the age, age of 12. That's when their family stopped making them go. And so almost invariably when people say this, they'll say, well, you know, they don't want to force religion on their kids. They want to expose them to it so their kids can make their own uh, decision when they, they come of age. They can make up their own minds about it. Now, I think there's a lot going on in statements like that, but I just want to say, as, as just off the bat, one thing that we can disabuse ourselves and we don't need to worry about as, <laughs> as parents or prospective parents is that no matter what we do, our children are going to make up their own minds anyway. I have yet to meet a person where, I, you know, you ask them a question, you know, what are you doing here? Why do you consider yourself a Christian? No one ever goes, well, my parents made me. Or my parents are still making me, so that's why I'm here today. No, 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 no. As in all things in life, our children are independent human beings. And they eventually make up their own minds. Anyway, we've all done it. <laughs> we've all seen it. And, and, and so we don't need to worry about forcing our kids to do anything. They're going to make up their own minds. And, and, and so, uh, you know, I, I just say as an encouragement that... Um, 
you know, what we can do, we can't make up our own kids' minds. They're, they're going to do that for us, for better or for worse. But what we can do is we can do things that show our values and our priorities to our children. You know, some kids, they complain about going to school. They don't like, they don't like school. Well, what do we do in response? We make them go. We don't tell their teachers, well, you know, I want little Billy to decide for himself if education is, is valuable. I want him to make up his own mind. That would be absurd. And so as families, we have the choice, the wonderful choice, to choose what practices we engage in that reflect what we truly value. And so I say, let's be like Mary and Joseph. Let us let our devotion to God be reflected in our practices as families. What we do with our time, what we prioritize, what we're willing to give up our time and our treasure for. Because this is something for, uh, you know, we, we, we know from the early story of Jesus' life that his family was poor because they offered the sacrifice for Jesus when he was eight days old um, that was for, a poor, was for a poor family when they dedicated him at the temple. But maybe Joseph's been successful, and so maybe they're middle-class peasants at this point in time. But all that to say, for their whole family to make this 80-mile trip every single year for the Passover, this was expensive. This was a sacrifice that they made. It was not cheap, but it reflected their priorities and their devotion. And even though Jesus is, you know, the incarnate Son of God, Jesus' parents still made him go to church. Now, we can also learn from Mary Mary and Joseph um, about how they respond to losing him. Now, we might wonder how it's possible. How is it possible you leave your child behind in Jerusalem and you don't know that you left him behind? How, how could you do that? How could you leave your kid in Jerusalem? Well, I have to say this, all right? We have all seen Home Alone. And so we know that these kind of things just happen from time to time, all right? And uh, if you notice in Home Alone, they throw, if you, this is mind blown, they throw his airline ticket away when he spills the milk on the table. It's a little thing, but you got to notice they throw his ticket away, and then there's the little boy who shows up and they count his head. So you can see how these things can happen. This is much more plausible than that, too. And Jesus, we got to keep in mind, he was 12 years old, so he was still a child, but he was on the cusp of adulthood. And families traveled in these extended kin networks. So it's actually not that hard to believe that, that someone of Jesus' age could get left behind. And his parents, you know, at the end of the first day's journey, they go out, they realize he's not there, then they have to travel a whole day back, and then they spend a whole day looking for him. So if Jesus' own parents could lose him, I think the truth is, is how much more prone are we to find ourselves in that situation where we've somehow lost him, where we've assumed that he was just with us as we were going about the daily business of our lives. And so maybe you're in or maybe you've had one of those seasons of life where uh, all of a sudden you just realize that you're no longer walking with Jesus, that you've left him behind or you've gotten off on the wrong track or you've just assumed that he was always going to be there with you. And so if you find yourself in this place, I think especially at the beginning of a new year, this is a good time to just be encouraged to go and try to find him. And if it's, if it's something that you've lost, your walk with him, your relationship with him, retrace your steps. Find out where maybe it was that you got off track, where you left him behind, where you lost him. And also, like Joseph and Mary, search diligently in the place where he can be found. And for us, that's scripture, that's prayer, that's worship, that, that, that's the sacraments, and that's serving others. And so that our connection with Christ, it's not something that we can simply take for granted. 
And so let none of us do that. And if you feel like maybe you've lost Jesus over the course of this past year, pandemic, everything, uh, let Joseph and Mary be your encouragement to diligently hunt for him until you find him. All right, so that's losing Jesus. But now we have finding Jesus. And the story of Jesus, the boy Jesus in the temple, it's actually the only story we have of Jesus' childhood in the entire Bible. There were other gospels, you know, gospels that didn't make it into the Bible, and they have all sorts of stories of Jesus when he's a young child. He's kind of like a, a, a scampy Harry Potter, you know, kind of running around and doing magic and all these tricks and getting in and out of trouble doing all of this stuff. Sort of the type of stuff you would make up about Jesus if you were just making up a bunch of stories about him. But, but Scripture will have none of that. No, no, no. Instead, Jesus isn't found by his parents in the temple doing anything spectacular, you know, water to wine and all that sort of stuff. No, what is he doing? The spectacular thing that he's doing is he's learning and he's discussing Scripture with the legal scholars and experts of his day. And it's actually his understanding, his insight, his maturity and his insight into what the Scriptures teach that amazes everyone. And so when his parents found him, Mary asked, you know, understandably, how could you do this to us? And Jesus' answer, it's so telling. And these are his first words, the first words out of Jesus' mouth in Luke's gospel. And the only words that we have from Jesus in his childhood are these. He says, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And actually, the, the Greek, it's, this is a fine translation. I'm not casting any shade on it. Idiomatically, the Greek can totally mean this. But the word house isn't in there at all. And so another way you could translate that is, is to say, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And so here we have a, a, a first glimpse into Jesus' remarkable self-understanding. We're people who have been steeped in, we've got 2,000 years of church history and, and theology and Christianity uh, uh, behind us. And so when we hear, did you not know I must be in my father's house or about my father's business, you know, we just go, no big deal. Hearing God called Father, that's, that's normal. We expect that. But here is a first glimpse into the revolution that Jesus brought about and how people spoke about God and thought about God using this word Father. Never before had anyone addressed God in such personal and intimate familiar terms. I mean, occasionally in the Old Testament, God is referred to as the Father of the nation of Israel and of the Israelite people. But Jesus changed the way people thought about and spoke about their relationship with God by making it much more personal, much more intimate. My father's house, my father's business. And so when we truly find Jesus, we we find this much closer and much more personal and much more intimate relationship with God. And when we come, uh, when we find Jesus, we, we also come to understand that where Jesus is, is, is going to be wherever the Father's business, the Father's household affairs are occurring, as he says here. And so if we want to find Jesus, then we got to get busy being about God's business. Well, how do we know what God's business is? We do like Jesus does here. We, 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 we seek to deeply study and reflect and practice what the scriptures say. And the last thing I want to highlight here in finding Jesus is, is that at the end of it, you know, what happens? He says this to his parents. Well, they're as confused as ever. They do not understand what he just said. 
And so if in your walk with Jesus you ever find yourself confused, confounded, a little put off or, or just kind of upset, you, congratulations, you're in good company, right, with Jesus' parents. And so our walk with Christ, with a living God, with a living Savior, should involve that. And so when we come to find Jesus, it's not, you know, certain things will begin to make sense and fall into place, absolutely. But there is an inexhaustible uh, nature to what it means to come to know God more deeply through Jesus. And so if we find ourselves in a place where we, we found Jesus, but we're not so sure what it is that we're supposed to do, take heart. You're like Mary. You're like Joseph. And so we have Jesus is lost, he's found, but lastly, we have Jesus is formed. And these last words of, of uh, Luke chapter 2 uh, about Jesus, this is the last we're going to hear of Jesus for 18 to 20 years, from when he's 12 years old till he's in his early 30s. And so this is all we get about these next sort of 20 years of his life. And so the question is, well, what was he doing? What was he up to all of those years? Luke tells us that Jesus went home with his parents and he was submissive to them. So the Son of God, the one about whom the, the angels sang and then the shepherds came to see and, 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 and the, the wise men brought their, their treasures, this one submitted to his earthly parents. He kept the commandment. He honored his father and his mother. And, and here we see uh, the inklings that Jesus lives a life of perfect obedience to the Father. Jesus lives like no one else because he's going to die like no one else. He's going to live a, a sinless life in order that on the cross he can be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So all that Luke has to say about Jesus before we meet him again as a grown man is that this, he increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. A life of quiet, faithful obedience to God will lead to that. There's nothing spectacular about it, you know, for years and years. In fact, you have to wonder if Mary, you know, at Jesus' birth before he was born, she heard all these incredible things, an angel visits her, you know. Uh, she hears, you know, this report from shepherds. All of these incredible things happen right at the beginning, and then nothing for decades. You have to wonder if, if, if she thought, well, when are all of these promises that God made about this child going to come true? You know, she wondered what, what it all could have meant when she saw him living out a humble existence as the village carpenter year after year. But it wasn't nothing that was happening in Jesus during that time. He was growing, he was learning, he was maturing. His favor was increasing for just the right time. And so let us take encouragement from that, to trust in the slow, quiet, and powerful work of God in our lives. And let that be a prayer for ourselves and for our kids, that they too would grow and mature in this way. And my Larson, our uh, children's ministry director, she picked this last verse, Luke 2.52, as her mission statement for children's ministry. And this is what we want to happen with our kids, that they will know God, that they will grow and mature in Christ, and that they will then go and live lives that are pleasing to God, that bless other people. And I think, what better, you know, no, grow, go, what better vision for Christian life could there be than this? And not just, not just for our kids, but for all of us. 
And so for 2021, I want to say this. Let our resolution be this. By, by God's grace, to have verse 52 be as true of us as it was of Jesus. And, you know, put your own name in there. And, and Dave and Amy and Eric and Elizabeth and Zeke and Luke and Matt and George and Jay increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor of God and man. Let that be our resolution this year. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Jesus, lost and found. And so God, we pray this day that we might seek you wherever you are, and Lord, that in finding you, we would learn what it means to be about your business and your affairs in this world, and that, God, your Spirit would be at work in our hearts, forming us into the people you would have us to be, people of maturity, people of standing, people of favor and of peace in this, your world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.